And there was a day and there was a time when he was actually anointed by God. And it was when he came down to the river Jordan to get baptized by John when he came up into the water, came up out of the water. The Bible says the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear he him. The touch of God. That's the subject of Rodney Howard Brown's message. Rodney Howard Brown, a missionary from South Africa, is sensitive to presenting the truth of God's Word. And he's being used by the Holy Spirit to help thousands experience the touch of God. And now, with part one of a five-part series on the touch of God, here's our teacher, Rodney Howard Brown. Luke chapter 4, and we read from verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, then went out of fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And it was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because... He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I want you to look at verse 18. He hath anointed me. In church circles around the world, really on the whole, there's very little understanding about the subject of the anointing. You could almost say that the church is in the dark ages. You're in the dark or middle ages. They didn't know about flight. They didn't know about electricity. Yet it was available to them. The Wright brothers didn't invent flight. Benjamin Franklin didn't invent electricity. They just found out about it. And the church, in a sense, it's like they're back in the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages concerning the anointing of God. What is the anointing of God? How is the anointing of God to affect our lives? Can it affect our lives as his children? Can the anointing of God be tangibly felt? Can the anointing of God be transferred? Can the anointing of God be received or rejected? And we're going to answer all of those questions and many more, I believe, that people have. First of all, the anointing is not something that's mystical. You see, some people think when you get anointed, then you become spooky. And I watch certain people over the years, and they get anointed, and Lord have mercy. I mean, I'm telling you right now, just weird. I said, if that's anointing, I don't want that. Thank you very much. Hello. What is the anointing? 
The anointing is the presence and the power of God manifested. It's the manifest presence of God. We understand that God is omnipresent. But there's a very big difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Someone said, God is here today. Yes, He is. He's omnipresent. But that doesn't mean to say His manifest presence is here. Big difference. Just because God is omnipresent doesn't mean to say He's actually manifesting His power and He's manifesting His glory. The glory of God is displayed when you look at the Grand Canyon and you see the majesty of that wonderful piece of land. God's glory is displayed, but he's not manifesting his presence. The manifest presence of God is when somebody gets saved, somebody gets healed, somebody gets delivered, somebody gets full of the glory of God. The power of God is demonstrated, and when he manifests himself forth, it's with signs and wonders and things that cause us to wonder and stand in amazement when we see God's wonder work in operation before our very eyes. Jesus walking on water. Jesus turning water into wine. The first miracle he did in Cain of Galilee, when he turned the water into wine, the Bible says he showed forth his glory. He demonstrated his glory. The anointing is the presence and power of God made manifest. And every service that we have, the anointing of God should be there. We should never come together and have a service where the anointing of God was not there. Now that doesn't mean to say that you've got to come in and fall down every time. The anointing of God manifests in different ways. And this is where the church gets into error when we try to always label what God is doing. There's some people that just think that these are laughing meetings. When really in reality, we have more people falling down than laughing. They, call me, they want to call me the laughing evangelist. Why don't they call me the falling evangelist? No, it's just their mindset to always try to label what God's doing with a manifestation. You can't label what God's doing with a manifestation. What, are you going to call Jesus the spitting evangelist? And the way that the anointing operates, there are different methods that God uses to cause the anointing of God to flow from the hands of man onto his people. The cloth. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were taken handkerchiefs. Jesus spat in the ground and made clay. Now, does it mean to say we make a doctrine out of that? And now everybody's going to walk around with a piece of, bring the wheelbarrow in, boys, it's time to spit. (laughs) But yet, if Jesus walked into some churches today and spat and made clay, they'd empty the church, empty the choir loft, and the people would resign. How dare he do that in this sanctuary? Sacrilegious. Newspaper headlines read, Preacher spits in man's eyes. 
Man suing preacher for fear of AIDS. Isaiah 10 and verse 27 says, It shall come to pass in that day that his yoke shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The anointing of God is the presence of God, and when it comes into contact with the yoke of bondage, it totally destroys it. And this is what's so exciting, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that God has entrusted it to us. That we can communicate it, such as I have, give I unto thee. We can impart that which God has given to us. Out of your belly will flow the river of living water. Out of your spirit, out of your heart will flow the forces or the issues of life. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. If Jesus had to be anointed, how much more do we not also need to be anointed? Some people have an idea that Jesus as a child was so anointed that he'd walk across the swimming pool or the, or the pond, you know, the duck pond out by the house to entertain his friends. Let me show you what you kids can do, I can do, because I'm Jesus. Jesus, come back inside. Stop putting on a show here. His mother Mary would call. Jesus, could you stop turning the water on the table into wine? We would like to drink some water for a change. You've done this now three times in a row. Now we know you can work miracles, but you don't need to do it now. Or if he's walking along and there's a dead bird and, and he heals the bird, raises it from the dead. I'm Jesus. I'm seven years old. I'm anointed. No, in actual fact, Jesus never did any miracle until his 30th year. For 30 years, he was in preparation for three and a half short years of ministry. And there was a day and there was a time when he was actually anointed by God. And it was when he came down to the river Jordan to get baptized by John. When he came up into the water, he came up out of the water. The Bible says the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear he him. And from that moment of time, Jesus was then anointed. What is the anointing? It's the equipment. It's the empowering. It's the enablement to get the job done. Today, people confuse the anointing with being a professional. Professional speakers. Professional communicators. Speak in a great voice. Stand and have a great command of the English language. As we're gathered today in this place, let us pray. <laughs> Dear God, as we're gathered today, we thank Thee that Thou, in Thy great mercy and Thy great love, look down upon us now. Yeah, and they'll go on and they'll go, My, wasn't that anointed? 
There's no more anointing on that. than a duck anointed to be a jet pilot. Hello. You got people that can play the piano, but then you got others that are anointed to play the piano. There's certain people in the world right now, I could mention their name. They are phenomenal on the piano, but they're not anointed. Now you can bring somebody along that can't even read music and they touch the first note and like a wind runs into place. What's happened? The anointing, it's the anointing that makes the difference. It's the anointing that makes the difference. There are people that can sing. We can mention names of great singers out in the world and they can sing and they've gained popularity and sold millions and millions and millions of records. And then you get somebody who really can't really, I mean, just even carry a tune in a bucket. I mean, some of them, when the pianist plays, they can't even play in the white notes or the black notes. They've got to play in the cracks. But boy, let me tell you, when they start to sing, the glory of God rolls into place. What's the difference? The one is the touch of God or the hand of God in that person's life. And the other is natural ability and talent. Yes, that is God-given. But there's something about the anointing. There's something about the anointing. Thank God for the anointing. Thank God. When Jesus left the earth, he told the disciples, he said, go tarry Jerusalem. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to pour my spirit upon you. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will be endued with power. You will be infused with power. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come. I'm going to pour my spirit upon you. I'm going to pour my spirit in you. And you're going to be anointed. And wherever you go, these works that I'm doing, these works shall you do. And greater works than these shall you do. Because I'm going to walk with you. When you stretch out your hand, it'll be as my hand is stretched out. When you walk, it'll be as though my feet is walking. When you speak, it'll be as though my mouth is actually speaking. I was in San Diego preaching a message and right in the middle of the message, I began to prophesy and the Lord said this, the great men and women of God that I'm using on the earth today, I'm not using them because they're anything special. And this is where we have to get it out of our heads. There are people here, if they realized how God had anointed them, if they realized what God had entrusted to them, they'd be shaking nations of the world. But it's almost like denominational blinkers are on the eyes or traditional blinkers are on the eyes. And they can't see what God has really given to them, what He's really placed within your hands. God said, The great men and women of God that I'm using on the earth today, I'm not using them because they're anything special. I'm using them for one reason and one reason alone that they touched me and I touched them. It's the touch. Of God, the anointing of God that comes upon an individual's life. And this is what many cannot understand. The thought that God could come to somebody that we know who even might be a close family member. One day they're not anointed suddenly. They're different. 
How do you think Mary and, 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 and his brothers dealt with the whole thing? Here's Jesus, the brother, the, you know, how do you think Joseph felt? Suddenly, he goes from being working at the carpenter shop to walking on water. Could you handle the pressure of when people found out where you lived? They'd line up outside your house. If you could get people healed of AIDS like that, what would you do? You wouldn't even be able to go to the restroom without being somebody hand come through the door. Pray for me, pray for me. You know what you'd have to do? Let me tell you what you'd have to do. You'd have to say, receive your sight. Don't tell anybody about it. Be thou made whole. Tell no one. Like a guy who's been blind all his life. All right, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> What's the first thing a blind man really sees? What's the first thing a blind man does? He wants to tell somebody. I, I can't tell anybody. Jesus said not to tell. Why do you think Jesus told him that? Because he, he would have been bothered night and day. I know now why he walked on water so he could get away from the people. <laughs> Multitudes for, I, I'll see you boys later. <laughs> Lord, come back here. <laughs> That's a handy thing to have. I know some pastors that, you know, that God's using them wonderfully in the ministry. And, and so they constantly badgered, but people wanted to see them. So they've got to have a time of rest. So, you know, but people phone him. What, is he resting? <laughs> he doesn't need to rest. People think that when you're anointed, you don't even go to the restroom. You don't, you don't need to go. You, you just live in this realm of God, and it's just so wonderful. And never have a problem. And never. How wonderful it is to be anointed of God. So this preacher had to take, you know, a vacation. I mean, once a week on a Monday, he took his day off. And so people would keep phoning the office, say, where is he? No, he's, he's resting. And they'd get upset. So he got himself a boat and called it visitation. People called the office and said, where's the pastor? No, he's on visitation. So the associate saw this, he said, that's fine. He said, if he can do it, I can do it. He bought himself a boat and called it Visitation 2. They said, well, is the associate available? No, he's on Visitation 2. <laughs> I can just see after this camp meeting, there's a lot of boats that are going to have the name Visitation. <laughs> But think about it. Are we ready? I mean, a lot of times we call for revival. A lot of times we're calling for God to move. But are we really ready for him to do? Well, would we lost if he showed up? You know, Jesus, after he was anointed, hung around about three and a half years. I remember correctly. And then he was crucified. 
That sounds like something you want to be, hey? Anointed. Someone said, Brother Rodney, if you're anointed, everybody's going to love you. I've got news for you. When you start moving in the supernatural, you better be open to supernatural persecution. And a lot of people want to see God move, and they want to see the anointing of God move, but they're not ready to handle even the criticism. They're not even ready to handle the persecution that comes. And so some even lose the anointing because they compromise to become acceptable. Jesus never compromised to become acceptable to anybody. Never compromised. Now, there are different levels and different degrees of the anointing of God. And God will never pour out upon you something that you cannot handle. And I believe that really this is a daily walk with God and it's really a testing grounds where God will see if you're going to be faithful. Some of you evangelists that are out on the field and you, you end up in a little town somewhere in Podunk, Holler, and you've got 30 people that you're preaching to, and it doesn't look, God's watching you. And he's not watching you from a distance either. He's watching you up close. He's watching you to see how you're going to respond to that sick person. He's watching you to see how you're going to respond to praying for the needs of those people where nobody's looking when nobody's going to give you any pat on the back. And when you faithful and found faithful, there comes promotion. It doesn't come from the north, from the south, from the east and the west, but it comes from Almighty God. And if God's called you and God's anointed you, there's not a devil in hell that will be able to stop you. I said there's not a devil in hell that will be able to stop you. We can line up the ministry gifts that we have this morning. We can line up 10 apostles and each one will be different. We can line up 10 prophets and each one will be different. 10 evangelists, 10 pastors and 10 teachers. And everyone have a different ministry with a different call and a different office and a different anointing. Sometimes the problem comes when some people try to step out of their office into somebody else's ministry. They try to wear another's mantle. David knew that he could not wear Saul's armor. When they tried to put Saul's armor on him and he was encumbered about and couldn't even walk, he took it off. He stayed with that which had worked for him out in the bush. He stayed with that which he trusted in. He knew that slingshot and he knew the power of God. And he said, I've taken the lion and I've taken the bear and I'm going to take this Philistine and I'm going to ship his saddle home. If he was Texan, he would say that. I'm going to ship his saddle home.
And when he let that stone fly out of that slingshot, I'm telling you, a 306 bullet couldn't have done a better job. Goliath was coming down. David stayed with that which worked for him. He didn't try to wear another man's armor. There are people in different parts of the ministry, some that are trying desperately to pastor a church that God never called you to pastor a church. You called yourself to pastor a church and here they sit struggling with a heavy burden upon themselves, encumbered about, shackled, snared, and they're like a bird in a cage. They wish they could fly and oh God, I wish I could fly. And if you could ever release them out, you'd see a wonderful ministry just begin to move in God. There are people out on the field traveling as evangelists that God never called you to be an evangelist. He called you to be a pastor. But for some reason, they just got it in their heart. They must be traveling. And so they run around and beat their head against the brick wall and just can't see a breakthrough and can't see a way through. And God's called you into something else. There's some people that God called you to be a good associate pastor. But no, your wife has already declared to you that you would do much better as the senior pastor. Wives can do amazing things. They can take governors and put them in the White House. But there's a big difference between the governor's mansion and the White House. You don't want to wait till you get in the White House to find out what the difference is. Huh. A big difference. Are you in the ministry because your wife pushed you in there? Because she had a vision for greatness for you? Hello? Some ministers run their churches out of their kitchens. I'm not against the wives here. I'm just telling you how things are going. Tell you, here's a good husband and wife team right here the pastor and the teacher. Both have powerful ministries. And that's why they're still around after all these years. Amen. Like the Energizer Bunny. But how many of you know what I'm telling you is the truth? See, it's the same old thing. Lucifer is here in the presence of God, leading the worship. Myriads of angels and angelic hosts. Eventually he thinks to himself, why should I lead the worship? I need to take the worship. They should be worshiping me. After all, I'm more beautiful than anything else here. Under the throne of God. Worship me. He had enough persuasion to take one third of the angels, which was innumerable. What's one third of innumerable? So he took one third of innumerable. 
He had enough persuasion to do that. He said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. How many times have we been in churches with these praise and worship leaders that anointed psalmists? After a while they think, well, hang that, I should be a pastor. And they leave the church and go down and start their own church. Well, the people can sing, but that's about all. That's like the man that married his wife because she was a great singer. She didn't look like much, but she could sing. Fifteen years later, he woke up, her head was in curlers, and he looked across the bed at her, and he looked at her and said, Sing! 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 I just saw some man say, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> You go to some churches and you want to say to the pastor, sing, sing, sing. And when we come into an understanding of the anointing and how it operates, then we'll be able to step into that calling that God has for us and be satisfied and be happy in that calling and not feel pressurized to try to function. It's like taking a, 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 a round peg and putting it in a square hole or a square peg in a round hole, trying to get it to fit. You cannot make a donkey a racehorse. You can take the donkey, you can polish him up, you can put gold-plated hooves on him, you can scrub him down with Johnson's baby powder, you can put a bow in his tail, and let me tell you, you can feed him on the finest hay grown in the state of Idaho. I don't even know if they grow hay out there. And you can take a racehorse, you can leave him out in the paddocks, you can just not even feed him for four months and just leave him there, not even take care of him. And the day of the race, you put the donkey and the racehorse in the stalls. And when it goes, the racehorse is gone and the donkey is hee-haw, hee-haw, kick him out the back door. The difference is the racehorse is anointed to be a racehorse. The donkey is anointed to be a donkey. There's some people that will fill excellent associate ministers. They can't handle the pressure of being out there by themselves. There are many other factors to flowing in the anointing of God. Many other factors. You've got to learn how to handle rejection. How do you think Jesus felt when he was preaching one day and the whole place left? The whole church left. And then he turned to his staff members and said, are you going to go too? If that was written up in church news bulletin, 
Jesus Christ had a crusade. They left him in the middle of his meeting. I've never had a whole church leave me. I've had as many as 40 people. I think it was in your church in Africa, remember? We had about 40 people walk out that one night. When I took off running and ran, they weren't your people. They were some visitors. <laughs> some deadheads. Remember, I took off running and you ran with me and we cleared out about 40 deadheads. I've had about 40 people get up and storm out the place. I mean, if nothing else gets them, the offering gets them, and then they storm out, slam the door, telling me I'm of the devil. I suppose the slamming of the door was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost that I had not noticed before. When Jesus had the miracles and the signs and the wonders, the crowds were there. But then he talked about commitment. Unless you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And they left. We're not willing to pay their price. One minute they're there with you, and the next minute they're hanging you from the palm tree. One minute they're there. Any minister that thinks that the crowds are there forever is totally deceived. They are there one day and they are gone the next day. Jesus had it in his ministry. Why will you be any different? You've got to learn to handle rejection. You've got to learn to deal with frustration. You've got to learn to deal with fear. Some have a fear of failure. Fear that they might fail. What happens if I get to where I'm going and I fall? Huh. Better to have got to where you're going and have fallen than never to have got to anywhere. Hello. Better to have at least tried. But you can't run like you're going to fall. A marathon runner doesn't run with the fear of falling. A mountain climber doesn't climb a large cliff or 20,000 or scale of 20,000 high foot high peak with the idea that I'm going to fall halfway when he puts his foot in that foothold and he grabs his hand on the rope and he begins to pull himself up or is he's going up just with no ropes in his mind all he sees is the summit he doesn't think down he doesn't think fall he doesn't think slip he thinks summit summit Summit, I'm going to the top. I'm going to the top. If you run like you're going to fall, you will surely fall. But if you run to finish the race, until the tape, until the prize, and just keep going, and just keep going, whether people think you're successful or not, whether people think you've made it or not, whether people praise you or not, whether people come and, and, and lift you up or not, it doesn't matter, just keep going, just keep going. There's one who watches from heaven, there's one who sees and knows, there's one who has it all on record, there's one who knows, and there's a day of reward that is coming. Just keep going. There are ministers that we've never even heard about that have plowed the fields in Africa for years. This one dear brother who's been in Zaire for 40 years had 12 million people wonder Jesus. The Bible schools in here. And he said God called him there 40 years ago. He said, I never heard from God since. 
But he said, I, I guess he called me up 40 years ago. I must still be doing what he wanted me to do. Had 12 million people saved. And yet sometimes we're always looking for another word from God. Lord, it's January. What is the word for January? Same word as last January. Suddenly, like now we crossed into the new year, let God change his mind. Well, I'm bored with what God gave me to do last year. What else can he do? God, give me something else. You can't even do what you've got to do. And you want something else, you ugly thing. We've got churches praying for revival. And they wouldn't know what to do with the revival if it showed up. Their church seats 500. They, oh God, give me a revival. They're running 475. If God gave you a revival and he gives you another thousand people, what are you going to do? You'll be tearing your hair out. Make room for the other thousand people. Amen. So with Jesus, you can see that he knew the time and the place that he was anointed. We need to know the time and the place. I believe that. I believe that. We need to know the time and the place. The anointing always brings results. And the results are evident for the establishment of the kingdom of God. Don't tell me that something is anointed when it's not bringing a tangible result as far as the kingdom of God, which is not meat and drink at righteousness, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. The anointing of God brings results. It results in lives turned to Jesus. People being saved, healed, filled with the Spirit. A change. Don't tell God how he's going to anoint you either. Let me tell you, I never asked for this. I never asked for this. I never said, oh God, give us something that's going to cause a stumbling block for many religious people. I beg of you, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of the ministry the way it is. Give us something that's unusual. Let people get filled with joy in our meetings, Lord, while I'm preaching. I mean, just cause chaos in the service. We never ask God for it. We did say, God, move. And I had to make the decision the day that he started moving, whether or not I really wanted what I'd asked for. Because I say, God, move. I don't care what you do. Just do it. There I am standing preaching this message on the anointing. Same message. Preaching. Just talking away there. 
Suddenly I felt this strange heat, like a heat. I knew it wasn't the air conditioning. I mean, the very air particles were moving like a blast of, of heat, heat or wind or hot air. It just started falling all over. And then I looked over the congregation and people are laughing uncontrollably. And there was nothing funny. Now, this is relatively quiet here this morning. But I'll give you an example of what they looked like. That's what happened to the whole place. And yeah, I am trying to preach. And the thought comes to me, Lord, you're ruining my meeting. The Lord said, son, the way your meetings have been going, they're worth ruining. And I had to agree with him. But he said, you have asked me to move, haven't you? I said, yes, Lord. He said, well, I'm moving. What are you going to do now? I said, I guess I'm going to let you move. Does it make sense to somebody that is so used to teaching the word seven steps to the 48 ways of the 900 different reasons of the original Greek, of the original Hebrew, who carries around a strong concordance and a youngs and a crudence and, you know, a vines and, and studies and then gets up to do his seven part series. And I'm going to teach you today the first part in a seven part series. Suddenly this, this noise the sound of many waters is running through the building and you stand there and you, in your mind, you want to leave out the back door with the religious people. In your mind, you think, oh, if it gets any more, much hotter in here, I'm leaving too, God. I'll just leave this place. And then you give an altar call and they run by the hundreds to get saved. And you think, Ma, in nine years previous to this, I preached a hot message for an hour and a half and couldn't even get five saved. And yeah, I get up and hardly say a word. And hundreds come to get saved. Are, are you telling me, Lord, you don't need me? And God says, all I was looking for is for you to allow me to do whatever I want to do. Someone says, well, why doesn't this just happen everywhere? Because people wouldn't let God move in that way. The first noise and the ushers would carry them out. Because order for some is control. The meeting's out of order, meaning I cannot control the meeting anymore. I'm not the head honcho in this service anymore. Someone bigger than me has come into the service and caused a disruption, taking away the attention from me. And I don't like it, and I want order back in the service so that people can look at me rather than see what God is doing. I remember one service where I just went and sat down for an hour and a half. I just sat down. 
there's nothing else I could do. It's total pandemonium. People falling out the chairs. People crying. People laughing. Some were wailing. Some were shaking. So I just said to the people, I said, look, just come up. When you're ready and lift your hands, God will touch you. I was sitting on the platform, just sat there and watched for about an hour and a half. People come right up, get to the front, lift their hands, bam, in the floor. I just sat there. I didn't even pray. You say, what did you do? I sat there and just twiddled my thumbs. I thought, Lord, I wish every service was as easy as this. Now, I had preached the word already and taught the word of God. And then you went and sat down. And they come walking up, got the front, lift their hands up. Bam, under the power of God. And then they get up. One lady got up, testified. She said, Brother Rodney, I would have told you about this an hour and a half earlier. She said, when I hit the ground, my deaf ear popped open. She was deaf in one ear. She said, when I hit the ground, my deaf ear popped open. Nobody even prayed for her. Nobody even said, be healed. Nobody even said, deaf ear, be open. Man, when she hit the ground, popped the ear open. She was healed by the power of God. Our philosophy in the whole thing is if God wants to heal people, let him come do it. Not my problem. Pray for people in wheelchairs. Listen, there's no difference. Somebody says, there's no difference in them than when they first came. So what? They didn't lose anything, did they? <laughs> Don't put pressure on me just because somebody wheeled a wheelchair in the place. Don't put pressure on me because somebody wheeled a wheelchair in the place. I pray for them if God wants to do something, let him come down and do it. Because if I've got to do it, then I guess I've got to get the glory for it. If he does it, then he gets all the glory for it. <laughs> Hallelujah. If he does it, then he can get all the glory for it. We've had several people come out of wheelchairs. One lady I think of right now from Juneau, Alaska. In a wheelchair, 18 years, crippling arthritis. The final five years, confined to a wheelchair. We were there several years ago, and I wasn't praying for her to get out the wheelchair. I was praying that she'd get filled with the joy. I'd rather have a happy person in a wheelchair than a sad person in a wheelchair. And went by, put my hand on her, and the power of God hit her. She started shaking and she slumped in the chair. And I just felt prompted in my heart. Just ask her if she wants to go for a walk. I said, would you like to go for a walk? She said, yes. She come out of that chair and has never gone back to the chair. The doctors say every trace of arthritis has totally left her body. Every trace of arthritis. She's still healed. She goes to Pastor Mark Rose's church. One of your church members, still healed. How many years now? Three years. Still healed by the power of God. Still healed by the power of God. Doctors declared it is a miracle. Still healed. Takes the pressure off me when God did it. Hello. Someone said, you're not even going to get excited about it. Well, hey, that's what we were praying about. Someone said, isn't that amazing? He prayed for somebody in a wheelchair and they got out. I'm more amazed when they don't get out. 
Hello. Now let me begin to close with this. Jesus said, I don't do anything but that I first see my father do it. He was totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I, I see a lot of people trying to be opportunists in the body of Christ. I'm serious. You listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. We were booked to go into one city. I'm not going to tell you where it was. And another evangelist found out about it and phoned the pastor up and weaseled his way in the week before we were to come there. And was trying to put pressure on the pastor to run the revival right into ours. Because he knew when we get there, if we were going to have revival. And then he could tell everybody he started it. So I called the pastor up. I said, if he doesn't close out tonight, I'm canceling the meetings. And you say, well, why would you do that? Because the man had a wrong motive and he had a wrong heart. He wasn't there to just come and bless the people. He was there to come and piggyback onto what God's doing. He was trying to put his stamp on it. He was trying to get in on something where he had never even sowed. He was trying to get in on a field that he'd never sowed. You want, to, you want to know why we're not in more revivals? You want to know why we're not seeing this nation shaken? Because there's too many people out there in competition trying to outdo this one, trying to chop this one down, trying to protect their own little ministry. Let me tell you right now, we need to go for the things of God. And the only reason why I would not allow that to happen, because we're not going to prostitute what God's doing in this ministry. We're not going to prostitute what God's doing. Because with this anointing comes a message and the message is pure and the message is plain and the message is straight down the line. And we're not going to compromise the message to cause this anointing to become acceptable to other people. If they want the manifestations and the move of the power of God, they're going to have to change and they're going to gonna have to hearken and listen to the message and they're going to have to change and go with what God says. Otherwise, they'll just have a smattering of revival, but they'll never sustain it. It'll never be an ongoing thing because they go back to the old wineskin. They go back to the old message and try to get God to sanction and anoint that which is already filth. And God will not anoint filth and God will not anoint stench. Hello. No, when revival comes, it brings change. Revival might mean you getting up in front of your congregation and apologizing to them and saying, I'm so sorry, what I've been preaching to you for the last 20 years is the biggest bunch of hogwash you ever heard in your life. Please forgive me. That might mean revival. That might mean revival. That might mean you getting up to you in front of your church and telling them, I'm sorry, I have missed it. I have made a mistake. And I humble myself. I'm sorry for what I've been preaching the last 20 years. Biggest bunch of garbage. I repent. I tell you, that's why God blesses somebody like John Austin. He was up there one day in front of the whole congregation preaching about the baths of the Holy Spirit and said this tongue stuff is all a bunch of rubbish. 
And the Lord said to him, oh, is that right? And God spoke to him. He said, you repent right now. And he had to stop right in his message and say, I'm so sorry. That's why I'm sitting with one of the biggest churches in America today. Hello. See, people want revival, but they don't want to change. They want the anointing of God, but they don't want to change. They want the move of God, but they don't want to change. They want God to sanction error. They want God to sanction deception. God can't bless it. The signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. God confirms his word with signs following. The signs follow the word. It depends what word you bring to what signs are going to follow. If Jesus said, I don't do anything but that I first see my father do it, then we better be careful what we do. And we better be following the prompting and the leading of the spirit of God. And if God tells you to spit in the ground and make clay, then it doesn't matter what the theologians say. It doesn't matter what anybody say. You rear back and you spit in the ground and you make clay and you put it in the person's eyes and you tell them to go wash. If God tells you to lay hands on people, you do it. If God told you to blow on people, you blow on them. If God said, run a truck through you and ride over these people, then do it. I mean, I'm telling you, if whatever God says, do, do it. Do it. God told me to get my people filled. I said, why? He said, because they're empty. This is a Holy Ghost filling station. Some of you this week are going to get filled up with super high octane unleaded Holy Ghost gasoline. Some of you right now, even while I'm talking, even while I'm preaching, God's already begin to drain the oil out of your old tank. And he's going to put some new oil. He's giving you a Holy Ghost lube job right now. Let me tell you right now. Some of you, right now, even as I'm speaking, God's overhauling your engines right now. He's putting in some new spark plugs. You're going to leave this cap, meaning you're not going to fire on one cylinder. You're not going to be firing like some two-stroke. You're going to be firing on full eight cylinders. Hallelujah. V8 power for God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Sukuranamba. Mamurdiya Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But there are many that I'll use that are sitting here even this day 
that you were trying to devise and purpose a way that I would use you, but you're looking at the obvious. And the way that I'm going to use you is not obvious to you. It's not seen to you even at this time, but it shall be revealed to you even as you draw nigh to me and you separate yourself and you draw into that place, into the Holy of Holies, that place that I have in the cleft of the rock. As you draw into that place in the cleft of the rock, then I shall open and unfold it to you, step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, and it shall not be the obvious, and many shall even look at you and say, Ma, that's a unique way of doing things. That's not the way that others are doing it. But you see, my spirit knows the way to get the job done. My spirit knows the way for you to reach your town and your city, and it'll be different than somebody else reaching their city. So don't try to copy one another, but try to follow the plan and the purpose of the Holy Ghost and he might have you do something that no one's ever done before and he might have you do something that's totally unique but don't question and don't argue and don't ask and don't try to devise and to plan it out but just follow the promptings and the leadings of the Spirit of God and all great and wonderful things shall be done for God will move in diverse ways and with diverse anointings in these last days and men shall look back and shall see the hand of God at work and they shall say to themselves Truly, the hand of the Lord is at work among us. Truly, we cannot lift up any man or give glory unto any man, but we can only look unto him. For he is, he is the great I am, and he is at work among us in this day and in this time. And many shall be added, and the church shall rejoice, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Our speaker, Rodney Howard Brown, missionary from South Africa. Rodney's desire is that as a direct result of this message, your life has been changed and that you have become more effective in your work for the kingdom.